nieces and nephews, and welcome to Auntie JoJo's Library. My library is open to all listeners, but it was specifically created for my seven wonderful nieces and nephews. This episode will be reading chapters 5 through 10 of the Calico Illustrated Classics, Little Women. This episode, I thought I would spice it up a bit. Since I read the last episode pretty plain and didn't do any of my signature voices, I might try it for a couple of these chapters. So, let's get started. Chapter 5. Joe Learns to Forgive Amy came into the room one Saturday afternoon to find Joe and Meg getting ready to go somewhere. Where are you going? she asked. Little girls shouldn't ask questions, Joe said. Amy saw Meg put a fan in her pocket. You're going with Lori to the theater. I want to go. I want to go with you and Lori. I'll be so good, she begged. Meg turned to Joe. Maybe we could take her? If she goes, I won't, Joe shouted. Lori already has our seats, and if she goes, he'll have to be nice to her and let her have his. It will ruin the evening. When Lori called from downstairs, Amy screamed, You'll be sorry for this, Joe, March. Joe slammed the door as she left. When they got home, Amy was sitting in the parlor reading. She never looked up at them. Joe ran to her dresser in her room. The last time she and Amy had fought, Amy had emptied out Joe's top drawer. But this time, everything was in place. The next day, Joe discovered something was missing. She ran into the parlor and asked, Have you taken my book? Meg and Beth were quick, were quick to say no. Amy poked the fire and was quiet. You've got it, Joe yelled at Amy. Amy shouted, You'll never see your silly old book again. I burned it. Joe turned pale. She had worked so hard on the little book, filling it with her own writing. There was a story Joe had been working on for years. She wanted to have it filled all before Father returned. Now it was burned. At tea time, Amy gathered up the courage and said, Please forgive me, Joe. Never, Joe answered. She ignored Amy from then on. When Miss March kissed Joe goodnight, she whispered, Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Forgive each other. But Joe said, She doesn't deserve to be forgiven. The next morning, Joe decided to ask Lori to go skating. When Amy heard the noise of the skate, she cried, Joe promised I could go with them next time. Today is the last time the ice will be good. Go after them, Meg said. Be kind and Joe will be friends again. But when Joe saw Amy following behind, she turned away. Lori did not see her. Joe skated down the river, ignoring Amy. Lori shouted, It's not safe in the middle. Stay near the shore. But Amy did not hear him. She skated towards the smooth ice in the middle. Joe began to skate further away, but turned in time to see Amy had fallen through the ice. Joe couldn't scream or move. Lori rushed past her. Quick, bring a fence rail. Joe dragged a rail from the fence as Lori helped Amy up by his arm. Together, they pulled her out. She was more frightened than hurt. Lori wrapped his coat around Amy and they hurried her home. She finally fell asleep, rolled in blankets near a hot fire. Is she safe? Joe whispered to her mother. Yes, thanks to you and Lori for covering her and getting her home quick. Joe fell down beside the bed and cried. It will be my fault if she dies. It's all because of my awful temper. Amy moved in her sleep. Joe looked up and said, I didn't let, 
I did let the sun go down on my anger. If I had, if it, if it hadn't been for Lori today, I might never have been able to tell her I forgive her. Amy opened her eyes and held out her arms. Neither she nor Joe said a word, but they hugged one another and everything was forgiven and forgotten. Chapter 6 Secrets In the evenings, Joe worked quietly in the attic. She wrote and wrote until the last page was filled, then signed her name and threw down her pen. I've done my best, she announced. She read her story, making changes here and there. Then she took another story she'd written from an old tin box. She crept downstairs as quiet as she could, put on her hat and jacket, and snuck out the back window. Joe took a cab to town, being very mysterious for anyone who might be watching. She went inside a doorway, but ran out three times before going inside the building. A young gentleman watched and waited outside. Joe saw him as she came out ten minutes later. She hurried past, but he followed her and said, You are up to some kind of mischief. Joe tried to ignore Lori. If you are nice, I'll walk with you and tell you something interesting, Lori said. It's a secret. Then you must tell me yours. Joe started to say that she had none, but remembered that she did. After making him promise not to tease, she whispered, I have left two stories with a newspaper man. He will tell me next week if he'll publish them. Hooray! Lori shouted, throwing his hat in the air. Hush! said Joe. Nothing will come of it, but I had to try. I haven't told anyone else, so they won't be disappointed. But Lori praised her stories and made her eyes sparkle. She asked, What's your secret? He said, I know where Meg's lost glove is. Joe dis Joe looked disappointed. Meg had lost her glove at a New Year's Eve party ages ago. The March girls had long forgotten about it. Is that all? she asked. Lori said, and here is where it is. He leaned forward to whisper in Joe's ear. Joe looked upset. How do you know? Saw it, he said, in a pocket. Isn't that romantic? No, Joe said. It's horrible. What would Meg say? Lori asked her not to tell anyone. I thought you'd be happy, Joe cried. I'm disgusted. I wish you hadn't told me. For a week, Joe behaved strangely. Her sisters were worried. She ran to the door when the postman came, was rude to Miss Brooks, and looked at Meg sadly. On the second Saturday, Joe and Lori ran outside laughing, then came back in with the papers. Joe pretended to read. Anything interesting? Meg asked. Oh, just a story. Joe kept her name, kept the name of the paper hidden. Read it aloud, Amy said. Joe took a long breath and read the story very fast. The girls listened with interest. They all agreed how much they liked it. Who wrote it? asked Joe. Joe jumped up and shouted, Your sister? You? cried Meg, dropping her sewing. It's very good, Amy said. Beth ran to hug her and shouted, I knew it! I'm so proud of you! They all stood around Joe, laughing and talking at once. Joe told them all about making the story to the newspaper man, about taking the story to the newspaper man. He said he liked them both, but he doesn't pay beginners. I shall write more, and he's going to get the next paid for. I'm so happy. Joe ran out of breath, wrapped her head in the paper, and cried into the story. To take care of herself and hear the praise of those she loved were the dearest wishes of her heart. 
she was on the first step to such a happy ending. Chapter 7, Dark Days One day, Hannah answered the door and returned to Miss March with a telegram. It read, Miss March, your husband is very ill. Come at once. Miss March rushed around shouting at everyone to get, their, to get her trunk, nursing supplies, and anything else her husband might need or want. Miss, Mr. Lawrence came with some more things to help Mr. March. As Meg ran through the hall, she, she ran suddenly into Mr. Brooks. I'm so sorry to hear about this, he said. I will go with your mother since Mr. Lawrence has things for me to do in Washington. How kind of you, Meg said. Thank you. Soon everything was ready. Then Joe gave her mother a roll of money. Twenty-five dollars? Joe, what have you done? Her mother asked. I earned it and sold what was my own, Joe said. She took off her hat and everyone cried out. Her long hair was cut short. Joe said, it doesn't affect the fate of the country, so don't be upset. I wanted to do something for father. I had to find some way to get some money. As they waited for the carriage the next morning, their mother said, Children, I leave you to Hannah's care and Mr. Lawrence's protection. Don't worry while I'm gone. Do your work as usual. They each promised to do the things that she asked. The carriage drove away and the sun shone on their smiling faces as they waved. Over the next few weeks, news from their father gave them comfort. He was dangerously ill, but the care of his nurses had already helped him. Miss Brooks sent a note every day, and the news was always better. For the next week, everyone worked hard, but after a while, they grew tired and stopped. In this, they learned a hard lesson. Meg, you should go see the Hummels. Mom told us not to forget them, Beth said. It had been ten days since her mother left. I'm too tired, Meg said. Why don't you go? Beth said, I have been every day, but the baby is sick, my headaches, and I'm so tired. Meg promised to go the next day. Joe said, I'd go, but I want to finish my writing. They waited to see if Amy would come home and go. But after an hour, she did not come. Meg went to her room to try on a new dress. Joe worked on her story, and Hannah was asleep by the fire. Beth quietly put on her coat, filled her basket with things for the poor children, and went into the cold air. It was late when she came home. Not long later, Joe found her sitting in her mother's closet, in their mother's closet, looking sad with red eyes. What's the matter? Joe cried. Oh, Joe, Beth said. The baby died in my lap before Miss Hummel came home. The doctor came with her and said it was scarlet fever. He told me to go and take medicine. Joe hugged her and said, If you get sick, I'll never forgive myself. Beth said she had symptoms already. Joe hurried to get Hannah, who said that she would get the doctor and send Amy to Aunt March's for a while. Joe promised to stay home and take care of Beth, since she'd already had the fever before. Amy threw a fit, saying she would not go to Aunt March. But when Lori came, he promised, Don't cry. If you go, I'll come and take you out walking every day. Amy slowly agreed to go. Lori hurried off to the doctor, who said that Beth might have it lightly. Joe and Lori took Amy to Aunt March's right away. As usual, Aunt March was harsh when Joe explained what happened. It's what I would expect if you go poking around poor people, Aunt March said. Amy can stay and help me if she isn't sick. Amy sniffled and said, I don't think I can bear it here. 
but I'll try. It turned out that Beth was very sick. Hannah told them not to worry their mother. Joe took care of Beth day and night. Beth never complained. There was a time when Beth did not even know the faces around her, calling them by wrong names and asking for her mother. This frightened Joe and Meg. They begged to write the truth to their mother. Then a letter came from Washington saying their father was very ill again, and it would be a long time before Marmee would be coming home. The day seemed dark, sad, and lonely. The sisters worked and waited as death seemed to shadow the house. Everyone who'd visited asked how Beth was and sent good wishes. She sent loving messages to Amy and told everyone to tell her mother she would write soon. But soon she was rarely awake, sleeping hour after hour. On the 1st December, Dr. Bangs came, to check, came over to check on Beth. He whispered to Hannah, If Miss March can leave her husband, she better come now. Hannah nodded quietly. Meg fell into a chair, and Joe ran to send a telegram. Lori came with a letter saying that Mr. March was well again, but when he saw Joe's face, he asked, Is Beth worse? Joe said, I've sent for Mother. The doctor told us to. Lori cried. It's not that bad, is it? Joe explained that it was and that Beth didn't know anyone. Mother and father are both gone, and there's no one here to help us bear this. Tears streamed down her face, and Lori took her hand. I'm here, Joe. After crying for a while, she said, Thank you, Teddy, using her nickname for him. Lori told her a surprise. I sent a message to your mother yesterday and asked her to come. She'll be here tonight. Joe stared at him, then threw her arms around his neck. I'm so glad, Lori said. Grandpa and I thought your mother ought to know. I'll go meet her at the train. Keep Beth quiet until she gets here. Everyone rejoiced but Beth, who lay in a heavy sleep. It was a sad sight to see her face changed, her once busy hands so weak and her beautiful hair tangled in the pillow. It was after two in the morning when Joe heard a noise and turned to see Meg kneeling by their mother's chair. Joe thought, Beth is dead and Meg is afraid to tell me. She hurried back to Beth and saw that there was a change. The feverish look and pain was gone. Hannah jumped up, felt Beth's hand, listened to her lips, then sat down. She covered her head with her apron. The fever has changed. She's sleeping natural. Oh my goodness. The doctor came and agreed. I think she will get well now. If only mother would come, Joe said. As the sun rose, Meg said, it looks like the fairy world. Then there was a sound of bells at the door. Lori said, Girls, she's home. I just want to make a quick correction before we move on. I have been reading the chapters and calling the character Mr. Brook, but I've been calling that character Miss Brooks. So I'm going to correct that in the rest of the chapters we read for this episode and hopefully the episodes from here on out. It looks like it was just a easy reading mistake that Auntie Jojo sometimes makes. So, chapter 8, A Secret Told. The house was full of happiness at the reunion of the mother and her daughters. When Beth woke, the first thing she saw was her mother's face. Marmee sat and held Beth's hand, Beth's thin hand as she slept. After a large breakfast from Hannah, stillness and rest filled the house. Lori hurried to tell Amy the news. 
Even Aunt March sniffed back tears at his story. Later at home, Joe found Marmy in Beth's room and asked to speak to her quietly. It's about Meg. Do you think he cares for her? Mother asked. I don't know about love and such silliness, Joe said. Her mother said, Mr. Brooke asked me to call him by his first name. He's been so good to your father. Joe was upset, but her mother said, I will not agree to Meg getting engaged so young, Joe argued. He'll make her fall in love with him and he'll find a fortune somehow and take her away from our family. Let's send him away and not tell Meg. Her mother said, this is the way of girls. Meg's only 17 and it will be years before John can make a home for her. If they love one another, they'll wait. A moment later, Meg came upstairs with a letter from her father. Add my love to John, Miss March said. Meg smiled. You call him John? Her mother nodded. He has been like a son to us, Meg said. I'm glad. He is so lonely. Good night, mother. I'm so glad to have you home. Once Joe found a piece of paper in Meg's desk with the words, Miss John Brooke, Joe groaned and threw it in the fire. The next weeks were filled with peace as the sick quickly improved. Mr. March talked about returning home early in the new year. The girls took care of Beth in their own ways. As Christmas came near, Joe and Lori came up with all kinds of exciting ideas, but they were soon stopped from their plans. On Christmas Day, the weather was mild and Hannah felt it in her bones. It would be a wonderful day. Miss March wrote that Mr. March wrote that he would soon be home. Beth felt much better and was carried to the window. Lori and Joe had turned the garden into a surprise. A tall snow maiden stood holding a jacket of fruit, holding a basket of fruit and flowers in one hand and a roll of new music in the other. A colorful Afghan a colorful afghan hung around her shoulders and a paper streamer came out of her mouth with a Christmas carol for Beth. Joe and Lori ran outside to bring in the gifts to everyone. Then Lori opened the parlor door and quietly said, Here's another Christmas gift for the March family. There stood a tall man leaning on the arm of another tall man. Everyone ran and soon Mr. March was surrounded by four pairs of loving arms. Miss March finally held up her hand and said, Hush, remember Beth. But Beth ran into the room and straight into her father's arm. The two sick people were led to a big chair that they shared. Mr. March explained he had long wanted to surprise them. When Mr. March glanced at Meg and suggested that Mr. Brooke eat something with them, Joe stormed out of the room. Hannah had a Christmas dinner ready that was a sight to see. Mr. Lawrence and Lori ate with them. They all ate and drank and told stories and sang songs. Then the guests left early so the family could be alone together. Joe reminded them that a year before they were complaining about all the small Christmas they, have, they would have. Mr. March spoke to each girl of how proud he was of them and the wonderful changes he could see in each. When asked her thoughts, Beth told how in Pilgrim's Progress there were so many troubles and then a pleasant green meadow. It's singing time now and I want to be in my old place. Beth sat at the piano and softly touched the keys. She sang in a sweet voice, and they had never thought to hear her again. The next day, mother, daughters, and even Hannah did everything to take care of Mr. March, but something seemed, but something seemed needed to complete their happiness. Joe shook her fist at Mr. Brooks' umbrella left in the hall. Meg was shy and silent and blushed whenever John's, John's name was said. 
Joe said, you're not your old self, and you seem so far away from me. I do wish we all settled with you and Mr. Brooke. What would you say if he asked you to marry him? Meg said, I would calmly tell him that he's very kind, but I agree with father. I'm too young, and we should just be friends as before. Then a knock at the door caused Meg to run to her run to her seat and sew as fast as she could. Good afternoon. I came for my, um, and to see your father today, said Mr. Brooke as he walked into the room. Joe said she would get their father and left to give Meg time to make her speech. But when Joe left the room, Meg moved forward to the door. Mother would like to see you, I'm sure. Don't go. Are you afraid of me, Margaret? Mr. Brooke said, looking hurt. Meg blushed and said, you have been so kind to father. I wish I could thank you. Mr. Brooke held, held her small hand in his. Shall I tell you? His eyes looked at her with so much love. Her heart beat fast. She tried to pull her hand away. He said, please, I love you so much. Do you care for me, Meg? She stammered that she did not know and she was too young. Finally, she pulled her hand and said, no, please leave. John spoke so kindly and looked so sad that she found her heart changing again. Just as John was leaving, Aunt March came in to see their father and her nephew. "'What's all this?' Aunt March asked. "'It's Father's friend,' Meg said. "'I insist on knowing what's going on,' Aunt March said, sitting down. "'Mr. Brooke just came for his umbrella,' said Meg. "'That Lawrence boy's tutor? I understand. I made Joe tell me about it.' "'But you haven't accepted him, have you?' cried Aunt March. Meg begged her to be quiet, but Aunt March said, "'If you plan on marrying him, I'll leave you none of my money.' Meg said, I shall marry who I please, and you can give your money to whoever you want. Aunt March stared at her. Meg, I mean my advice kindly. You should marry someone rich and help your family. Mother and father like John, Meg said. They argued over whether Mr. Brooke had enough money or had any kind of business. I couldn't do better if I waited half my life, Meg said. John is a good good and wise man of many talents and is willing to work hard. He cares for me even though I'm poor, young, and silly. He knows you have rich relatives, Aunt March said. Meg cried. How dare you say such a thing? I won't listen to you. We are willing to work and to wait. I'm not afraid of being poor and I know I will be with him because he loves me and I... Aunt March was very angry. You are willful, child. Don't expect anything from me, even when you are married. I'm done with you forever. Then Mr. Brooke came and said, I couldn't help hearing. Thank you for defending me. You prove you care for me a little. I, I don't, I didn't know until she was so mean to you, Meg began. She hid her face in John's coat and said, you can stay. Joe came and listened at the door, hearing nothing. She thought that Meg had sent Mr. Brooke away as promised. She went in and stared in shock at her sister sitting on Mr. Brooke's knee, looking at him with love. Mr. Brooke laughed and said, Sister Joe, congratulate us. Joe ran upstairs and shouted, Somebody come quick. Mr. and Miss March ran out of the room while Joe cried and told Beth and Amy the awful news. There was a good deal of talking that afternoon in the par parlor. <laughs> Let's start that over. There was a good deal of talking that afternoon in the parlor. Mr. Brooke talks 
Mr. Brooke talked of what he would do to work while they waited for the wedding. Lori danced into the room with flowers for Miss John Brooke. I knew John would have his own way, Lori said. Joe did not approve of the match, but made up her mind to not say anything against it. I've lost my dearest friend, she told Lori. Lori told her that she still had him and he could stand by her all his life. Chapter 9, The First Wedding Wedding? Hold on. I know I'm reading this story, y'all, but am I lost? Meg is about to get married? Woo! How much time has passed? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Between chapter 8 and 9, we got somebody not excited to get married. Now she wants to get married. Whoo, this book. How many more chapters we got left of this thing? It's blowing my mind already. Okay, here we go. Chapter 9, The First Wedding. The three years that passed brought few changes to the quiet family. Okay, that makes a little bit more sense to wait three years between chapters 8 and 9. Got it. I'm on the same page. Here we go. The war ended, and Mr. March was safely home, now a minister. Uh, okay. I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Miss March, well, you know, she spent a great deal of time getting ready for Meg's wedding. So in three years, the dad's come home. He's now a minister, which I, I don't know if you got to have education for that, right? Um... Okay, and then John Brooke, he went to war for a year. He got wounded, and then he was sent home. So then he's worked to earn money for him and Meg, okay? And, all right, Meg grew strong in character and learned how to take care of a home. She felt herself the luckiest girl around. She Honestly, she should be lucky. Her dad, her dad's back, her dad's good, got a thriving career, giving back to the community. Her soon-to-be husband, um, he was wounded in the war back before there was really traditional medicine. Uh, and then, So then he's come back, and he's doing better, and he's working hard, and he's got a job. Um, okay, all right. So I, get, I, I like this story. Okay. Joe never went back to work for Aunt March, who took quite a liking to Amy. She bribed Amy with drawing lessons. Joe devoted herself to books and Beth, who stayed delicate long after her illness. At this point, three years later, Beth's milking it, but I, I don't know. I've never read this book before. It's just my opinion. Might be pulling an Auntie Brie, you know, trying to get some, like, extra attention. You know, just, it sounds familiar. The newspaper Joe paid a dollar a the newspaper paid Joe a dollar a column. Joe was happy yet still hoped for something more. She worked on a larger manuscript that grew bigger in the little tin box. Lori went to college to please his grandfather. He was a favorite at school because of his money, manners, talent, and kind heart. He would have become spoiled except for those who loved him back home. Meg and her mother worked hard to prepare the home that Meg would have with John. She learned that she learned from Hannah how things should be done. Finally, it came time for John to get the marriage license for the wedding. Joe went for a walk with Lori. They talked about his grandfather and how much money Lori and how much money Lori spent while at college. He talked about the boy named Parker, who was in love with Amy. Joe said, We don't want any more marrying in the family for years to come. You'll go next, Joe, Lori said. 
No one will want me, Joe said. There should always be one old maid in the family. Okay. It's not a coincidence that the Joe in this book is called an old maid. And I don't know, nieces and nephews, could there could be a Joe in your family that's also been called an old maid. But let's just remember, I am not as old. I'm just I'm not as old as Yaya, Ladybug, and Baby J's dad. Just you can tell him that. Um, and he might hurt me, you know, might crack some jokes at me like he always does. But let's just remember, Auntie Jojo is always younger than Yaya, Ladybug, and Baby J's dad. Okay, we'll get back to the story. Lori said, I promise you will be next. On the day of Meg's wedding, June roses bloomed over the porch. Meg looked like a rose as well. She would not wear silk, lace, or orange flowers. I don't want to look strange or fixed up, she said. I just want those around me who I love, and I want to look like my old self. She made her own wedding gown, and her sisters braided her pretty hair with lilies of the valley, which John liked. The three sisters wore suits of thin gray silver and had small roses in their hair. Everything was to be as natural and homelike as possible. When Aunt March arrived, she was shocked to see the bride run to greet her and find the, groom, the bridegroom putting, her flower, putting up flowers that had fallen. You shouldn't be seen until the last minute, Aunt March said. But Meg declared she wasn't a show. I'm going to have my wedding just as I like it, she said, giving John a hammer. A crash and a laugh from Lori came as he shouted, Joe's upset the cake again. There was no bridal procession, but silence came over the group as Mr. March and the young couple took their place under the green tree, under the green arch of flowers. Joe did not cry as Meg looked straight into her husband's eyes and said, I will. Beth kept her face hidden on her mother's shoulder, and Amy stood like a graceful statue. The last minute she was married, Meg shouted, The first kiss for Marmy, and gave her mother a heartfelt kiss. After lunch, people walked in groups of two and three through the house and garden. Lori shouted, All the married people hold hands and dance around the new husband and wife. The unmarried men and women dance in couples outside of the circle. He grabbed Amy and danced until everyone followed him. Then Mr. Lawrence walked up to Aunt March. She tucked her cane under her arm and stood away to join hands with the others and danced around the bridal pair. When Meg and her new husband led Aunt March to her carriage later, she told him, You've got a treasure. See that you deserve it. The couple's little house was close by. Meg came down the stairs looking pretty in a simple suit and hat. Everyone gathered around to tell her goodbye. Meg said, I'm not separated from you, Marmy, or will love you any less for loving John so much. She hugged her mother and promised her father to come home every day. Thank you all for the happy wedding day. They watched her go with, the, with faces full of love, hope, and pride. She leaned on her husband's arm. Her hands were full of flowers, and the June sunshine brightened her face as Meg's married life began. Chapter 10. Literary Lessons Every few weeks, Joe would shut herself in her room and write away at her novel with all her heart and soul. One day in the street, she noticed a boy reading a newspaper. He told her he could read it if she wanted. When she finished, 
he told her she could read it if she wanted. When she finished reading a story of love, mystery, and murder, the boy talked of how good the story was and how much he liked it. The writer makes a good living out of these stories, the lad said. Joe asked if he knew her. The boy explained that he did not, but read all her stories and knew a man who works in the paper office. Joe could think of nothing but the address of the newspaper and decided to try for the $100 prize given for an amazing story. Joe told no one of her plans and went to work the next day. She'd never written such a dramatic story before. She sent the story to the newspaper and explained if it didn't win the prize, she would be if it didn't win the prize, she would be very happy to get any amount of money they might decide it's worth. Joe waited 6 weeks, kept her secret from everyone. Then one day she opened a letter and a check for $100 fell into her lap. She read the letter and cried. The letter was encouraging and meant more to her than the money. She proudly went to her family to show them the letter and explain that she had won the prize. When the story came, everyone praised it. Her father said, Always aim for the best. Joe decided to use the money to send Beth and her mother to the beach for a month or two. Beth argued it was too much, but Joe talked her into going. And although Beth didn't come back as rosy as they had hoped, she felt much better. Joe earned more checks for her writing that year. She paid the bill to the butcher, put down a new carpet, and bought groceries and new gowns. She decided, she decided to try something even bigger. She copied her novel for the fourth time and then sent it to three publishers. She was told that if she cut it down in size and cut out all the parts that she liked the most, it would be published. Don't spoil your book, her father said. Wait and see. Joe feared that she had worked on it so long she didn't know any longer if it was good or bad, but Meg said the story would be spoiled if she left part of it out. Amy thought she would she should do what, what the publisher, Mr. Allen, said. He knows what'll sell. Joe asked Beth for her opinion. Beth said, I would like to see it printed soon. The way she said the last word brought a chill to Joe's heart. Joe took the book and cut parts of it, trying to please everyone, but insisted on pleasing no one. But instead, pleased no one. It was printed and she got $300 and lots of praise and blame. Joe was confused and cried to her mother. How can the critics world help me if they say so many different things? I wish I'd printed it the, I wish I'd printed it the way it was or not at all. Her family and friends confronted her, but it was a hard time for Joe. Yet another, the first pain of it was over. Yet, after the first pain of it was over, she learned from what people said about her book and felt herself wiser and stronger. She said, the joke is on my side. The parts that were the real life were said to be impossible, and the scenes I made up in my silly head are said to be more natural and true. When I'm ready, I'll do another book. Thank you so much for joining me in my library for the readings of chapters 5 through 10 of the Calico Illustrated Classics Little Women. Join me next Wednesday for reading of more chapters from this book. If you have story suggestions, email me at auntiejojoslibrary at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram at auntiejojoslibrary or leave me a voicemail message using the message link button on whatever app you're listening to this story on. As always, I'm looking forward to sharing more stories with you.